uh, a question. Today we're going to talk about, uh, we've been in this series talking about margin, about how we can create margin in our life. And today we're going to talk about financial margin. So I wanted to start out, and I wanted to do this. I want you uh, to raise your hand, okay? If you uh, occasionally or often or sometimes, if you ever have financial stress, would you just slip your hand up? If you ever occasionally, sometimes, once in a while, there's any financial stress in your situation, I want you uh, uh, have people put their hands down, and some of you are pointing to your neighbor. But I, I hope you looked around because I want you to recognize like how normal financial stress is in our society. Like it is, it is prevalent all over the place. Our culture, it just pushes this idea of financial stress. I mean, there's so many of us in, in, our, in our church, in our day and age, that live paycheck to paycheck. I mean, debt is like such a normal part of our society. In fact, your credit score isn't based on how much money you make. Your credit score is based on how you do with debt. I read this, uh, there was a CNN report that said, uh, a CNN report that said half of all Americans, okay, half of all Americans spend more money than they make, okay? Half of Americans do that. On average, on average, $4,000 a year, we spend more than we make, okay? Do you realize how crazy that is? Over a decade of time, you would go into $40,000 of debt on average because... Half of us spend more money than we actually make. Do you understand how crazy that is? And we think about, well, uh, no wonder we have all this financial stress. No wonder this is anxiety. There's this worry. There's relational tension. Because how many of us, how many of you are like me, where you know what it's like to have more month at the end of your money, right? Anybody know what that's like? Where you, I mean, this is just part of our society. And so we've been having this conversation about margin and how we create margin in our life. And we said margin is the difference between what we have and what we need. And I saw a a definition for margin this week that I want to bring in as well. And it was this idea that we all have limits. Okay, every one of us, we have a limit. Uh, We have a limit for how much uh, we can take. We have a limit for how much we can spend. There's limits. And margin would be the space between what you have and what your limits are. And what happens when we don't have margin? When we don't have margin... That's when we feel that stress. The stress begins to increase. Uh, When we don't have margin, uh, we get stressed out. That's when our relational intimacy begins to decrease. That's where we find ourselves getting into fights with our spouse, being irritable because we don't have that margin and the stress has gone up. And and here we have this conversation, and it is a spiritual conversation because God said, I have come to give you life and to give you abundant life. And I don't think that life that God has promised us is a life that has a lot of stress and relational tension in our relationships. I think the life that God wants us to find is a life found in the margins. When we have that margin in our life, when we have the bandwidth in our life to deal with things that come up, when we have that that margin in our life to, to laugh and to play and to dream, and we have that bandwidth where when God presents to us an impromptu opportunity, that we have the ability to respond to that, to be in the moment because we have margin. And so when we're having this conversation of, of margin, uh, when we find margin, it allows us to have the freedom to follow and to pursue the things that matter most. We're not busy with a bunch of good things, but we have the ability to pursue the things that matter most. And on this conversation on financial margin, man, there's a couple things I want us to know from the very get-go. Hey, 
This may be revolutionary, revolutionary for some of you. It is possible. It is possible for you to have money left at the end of the month. It is possible for us to live in a way that we have money left over at the end of the month. It is possible for us to, to be able to help somebody, to find somebody in need and not be wigging out about, man, I can't do anything for them because I have no bandwidth, but actually have some ability to say, hey, you're in need. Let me bless you. Let me encourage you. It is possible for us to have financial margin that we can actually go and do something that we enjoy because we have some financial margin. It is possible for us, for you and I, to have enough financial margin that we can purchase some of that time margin. Where maybe we don't have all the time in the world, but maybe we could take some of our financial margin and hire someone. Hey, would you come help me clean the house? Would you come take care of the yard for me? And purchase some time margin so we can focus on the things that matter most. Financial margin is where we don't have the stress and the worry and the, and the fear that's often related to our finances. So this morning we're going to talk about financial margin. And what I want us to know about financial margin, it's a big idea. You might want to write this down is that financial margin makes us rich in what matters most in our life. Financial margin, listen, you may not be the richest person of stuff. You may not have the biggest house. You may not have the fanciest car or all the toys. But if we have financial margin, it allows us to be rich in what matters most in this life. So last week we dealt with this question. Uh, When we're dealing with a schedule, we're saying, hey, if you have an opportunity, the question isn't, am I free The question shouldn't be, um, is it right or wrong? The question shouldn't be, is it wise? And so dealing with financial margin, I want to think about that idea about being wise, about what it looks like for us to be wise financially. So in Proverbs chapter 21, uh, I'm going to go through a bunch of scriptures today. You are welcome to write these down. You're welcome to try and follow along in your Bible. Uh, I'll have the words behind me as well on the screen. In Proverbs chapter 21, verse 20, uh, Proverbs writes, Uh, Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. See, the the house of the wise has financial margin. The house of the wise has more than enough. They have have more than what they need. There is this this excess that they have. And, And the opposite side of that, the foolish person, the house of the foolish person, they devour all that they have. There, there, there's no margin. They, they use all that they have and they get to the end of the month where there's more month at the end of their money. And now, one of the things I love about this verse here in Proverbs 21, in the house of wise, there is financial margin, is I want you to notice what it does not say. It doesn't say, in the house of the wealthy, there's financial margin. It doesn't say, in the house with a six-figure six income, is there peace and security and confidence. It says, in the house of the wise. It, doesn't do with, it has nothing to do with how much money you make. It says, in the house of the wise, there is more than enough. The wise, they learn to manage what God gives them in a wise way. And the foolish do the opposite. They, they, they don't manage what God has given them in a wise way. And so they spend all they have. And so scripture calls them foolish. Now we have this conversation about, about wealth. I think the problem is when we think about the word rich, I think we have a, a wrong definition for the word of rich. In our culture, uh, we have this idea that we got to keep up with the Joneses, right? And I don't know who the Joneses are. They're probably some great family somewhere. 
But we have this idea that when we see somebody else and they've got a, a nice house and they've got a nice car and they've got all the toys and they've got the nice clothes that we feel this need. Hey, I need to uh, keep up with them. I need to show themselves. Hey, look, I'm on the right path too. I- I'm doing well. And so we get really good at focusing on our appearance. We get really good at, at wanting to have the nice house and the nice car, and the clothes. We want to make sure we have the nice vacations. Because again, it's all by appearance. And we want people to look and say, man, look, you've got it all together. You must have it all together. You've got the nice house, and the car, and whatever else. But what happens, and again, you look at those statistics, about half of Americans are spending more money than they actually earn. You begin to pull back the covers on the Joneses, and all those other families that are focusing on appearance, are trying to look like, hey, look, we've made it. You pull back the covers, and there's no financial margin there. There's stress and anxiety and fear. How do we keep this lifestyle going? How do we keep the appearance that we have it all together? How do we pay for the things that we've already bought? Man, that, that sounds like it's great, but that's not the best life at all. You think about all the stress that is related to that. And then on the other hand, you've got this other way of living, where you live below your means. Now, this might be a a family that maybe they don't have the biggest house. They don't probably have the biggest TV or the fanciest video games. Uh, They don't have the nicest furniture. Their cars have a few miles on them. But something's different about families like this. Because this family, man, they they don't have that tension in their relationships. They don't live with that fear and the anxiety. In fact, that family would live with peace. And again, we look at this idea of, uh, 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 of what rich is. Man, I look at the people that have all the stuff. I look at the people that have all the houses and, and the cars and all the fancy stuff. Man, that does not sound like a rich person to me. Of all the anxiety and the stress that goes along with that. Man, the person that has margin in their life. And not just financial margin, but, but moral margin and, and margin to spend time on what really matters most. The people that don't have the stress and relational tension in their life. That is what is rich in my eyes. But somehow we have this wrong view. Somehow we have this view that a rich person has all this stuff. But we've got to get that out of our mind. A rich person is not a person with all the stuff. A rich person is a person that has margin. That has peace that doesn't have that relational tension, that doesn't have that stress. But the thing is, I, like, we, we love that idea, but do we really believe that? I mean, when we stand up and say, well, of course, I, I would agree with you, Pastor. A rich person is somebody who has a, 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 a good life, that has margin, and isn't stressed out. But do you really believe that? Another proverb, Proverbs 15, verse 16. Uh, the writer says, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Again, that's one of those ideas that we just talked about, about what a rich person is. The scriptures just said that better is a person with a fear of the Lord, with little stuff in life, than it is to have great wealth and treasure and all the stress and anxiety that goes along with that. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that? Because I would say there's many of us that struggle We may believe it with our mind, but in our heart, we struggle believing that. We think, well, no, like I'd love to have the nicer stuff. But this is the word of God, and it is absolutely true. And this is what scripture is trying to to, to help us to understand this morning. Listen, the wisdom of God's word says this is better. 
It is better for you and I to cut up our credit cards than to pay with cash and not have to deal with the stress and the anxiety of having the debt looming over us. Scripture would say to us, it is better that when something breaks down, that you don't break down with it because you have an ability to pay for it to get it fixed. Scripture would say that it is better for us to see a person in need and actually be able to have the bandwidth to go and do something about it financially. Scripture would say it is better for us to live in a smaller house and to drive an older car if that leads to peace in our marriage and not having that relational tension because of the finances. Scripture would say it is better for us to get Dave Ramsey's tattoo, uh, his mug tattooed on our body to remind us to live below our financial means. Scripture is telling us this morning, listen, it is better for us to live with margin than it is for us to have all the nice toys and all the trinkets and all the stuff and the stress and the turmoil and the grief that typically goes along with it. See, it's one of these things that we get it. Yeah, yeah, it is better to be with God than all those other things, but it's so hard to connect it to our heart to actually live it out. And this is where we have to look at the word of God. It is better to live with little and with a fear of the Lord that it is for us to live with great treasure and all of the trouble that goes with it. Man, that's one of those verses we need to just memorize and let sink in and say, God, help me to believe this. Help me to not just believe it in my head, but believe it in my heart with how I live. Because what, what, I just don't, sometimes I struggle to think through, why don't we get that? And I'm not saying you, I'm saying me. Why do I sometimes struggle to actually live that way? Why do we, find this tendency to trade margin, financial margin. Why do we trade that? Why do we trade that flexibility? Why do we trade peace that it offers for the things that don't last? Why do we, why do we take the, the potential that God has given us and have this margin that God promised us, and why do we trade it for toys and trinkets and stuff? I don't know about you, but I think our culture convinces us of a lie. Our culture convinces of, uh, of a lie. When you think about what the culture's definition of happiness is, a culture's definition of happiness is more than what you currently have, okay? The culture's definition of happiness is always going to be more than what you have right now. I mean, you just sit and watch TV and you see this come on the, uh, come on the TV uh, every few minutes. Because every time you watch one of these commercials, now some of you, I know you're really cool, you have one of those TiVo things, uh, so you can fast forward all the commercials. I don't have that, so I actually have to sit and watch all of the commercials. And you want, when you watch these commercials, commercials have no concern for your financial situation. Commercials don't care if you've got financial goals. You know what a commercial's goal is? The commercial's goal is to convince you, you need this new car. The commercial wants to convince you absolutely that if you get this new car, you're going to get better gas mileage and it'll change your life. They're going to convince you if you get this new car, you're going to be able to put more people in your car and make it better. If you buy this new car, you're going to be more accepted as a husband, as a wife, as a mom, as a dad, as a person. If you get this new car, people will think more of you because of this. If you get this new car, you'll save the planet because it's more efficient. The commercial wants to convince you that if you get this new car, then Matthew McConaughey and all his suaveness will come and ride with you and you will be as cool as he is. And of course, the end of the commercial says, 
You have to do it now because the special ends at the end of the month. I mean, this is what, you watch these commercials. What are they trying to convince you of? You need more. You need something else to make you happy. And it's not just with cars. It's the food that we eat. It's the clothes that we buy. It's the, it's the com- computers that we use. It's the shoes that we wear. It's the coffee that dr- we drink. It's the vacations we take. Try to convince us. Listen, if you want to be happy, you just need this and that and that. That's what our culture constantly is bombarding us with. And you know what they say? If you can't afford it, don't worry. Just make payments, right? I mean, you can get a credit card. The culture would say, listen, if you're not happy, it's because you don't have enough. You need something else. You need more. But you know what's crazy? I mean, I mean, thinking about this, thinking about every one of us in here. I can't say this for everybody, but I could probably say most of us. Most of us are more blessed financially than we've ever been. Most of us are making more money than we've ever made. We have more resources available to us now than we ever have had before. But on the same side, more of us are more stressed out and anxious and miserable as we've ever been. Because we don't have that financial margin. And what we need to understand, listen, when we talk about financial margin, financial margin is not just an income problem. It's a lifestyle problem. It's not just an income problem. I love this in, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Timothy says this. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. And I want you to hear the passion that, that Timothy writes this. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. He doesn't say godliness with contentment. He doesn't say contentment is just like a good gain, like a decent. No, no he says the passion. Man, this is great gain if we learn to be content. Because this idea of being content, it fights against our culture, right? It fights against a culture that tells us you need more. You need more to be happy. Contentment speaks to our idea of, of being Uh, sufficient, that we have enough. See, there's going to be a a battle within us where there's going to be one of two words that we will choose to rule our life. There's one of these words that we will use and allow to rule our life. We We either will choose the word more or enough. If you choose more, what happens is more is never enough. There's always going to be more for us to get. That's where you get the latest phone, the latest iPhone, the brand new phone that just came out. And you know what happens? In about three months' time, Steve Jobs, not Steve Jobs, whoever else is in charge of Apple, he introduces the next one and says, this will change your life. And that phone that you waited for, that phone that you spent all that money on, all of a sudden there's a new one out there. I got to get the latest and greatest. It's never enough. Whether it's the car, whether it's the TV, whether it's teenagers with their video game systems, It's never enough. There's always something more. And so if more is the answer for your life, there's always going to be more. Stuff that we buy, it never appeases. It doesn't, it doesn't, or only appeases. It doesn't satisfy the deep desires inside of us. But if we allow the word enough to be the word that we choose to to dictate our life, that we allow contentment with where we are, contentment with what we have, listen, Timothy says that is a great win. That is a great gain in our life where we don't have that stress. We don't have that financial tension. We have more of what matters most if we learn to be 
content. So I love this. Timothy says, uh, godliness with contentment is great gain. He says, verse 7, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of it. I love in, in, in the book of Job, Job says, naked we came into the world and naked we leave. All the stuff we accumulate, it stays here. Verse 8, but if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Do you understand that's not just an income problem? Do you understand that the stress and the financial problems we go through is not just an income problem, it is a lifestyle problem? Because if we want to have uh, margin, if we want to have financial margin and what comes with it, the peace, the relational harmony, the satisfaction, we have to learn to be content. You have to learn to say, man, I have enough. We have to learn that I'm not going to settle on stuff that's good and miss out on the stuff that's best. Timothy, Timothy says in verse 9, But those who desire to be rich, according to the world standard, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge them deep into ruin and destruction. Again, these are families. You can look at them and, and from the outside, man, they've got all the stuff. They've got the house and the car and the boat and all those fun things. But you pull those covers back, and oftentimes it's pretty ugly. It's pretty messy. Those people are actually pretty miserable. Verse 10, Timothy says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. Think about that. It is that desire for stuff that many have pierced themselves with many pangs. That word pang is not a word that we use often in our society. It means with, many, uh, with grief, with misery, with agony, with despair, with distress, with suffering, with heartache. Many people in our world are going to pursue stuff as the answer. Pursue more and they pierce themselves with heartache and agony and despair, and frustration. I mean, again, you look at the, some of those families from the outside, they look wonderful. They look like a life. Man, I'd love to have their life. Again, you pull back the covers. You pull back the covers. You know what loads of debt brings you? Stress. You know what financial stress and worry bring you? Grief and tension. You know what relational tension because of money brings you? Anxiety, distress, despair, agony. Exactly what Timothy is saying. As we long for these things and we try and make these things and make it about the wealth and the stuff, we pierce ourselves. We hurt ourselves with these things. We bring them upon ourselves. People can't enjoy the blessings that God, have given, has, God has given them because they are filled with stress and worry. Scripture would say that marginless living, that kind of marginless living, is foolish living. That is like living like the foolish. The Bible is calling us to something different. The Bible calls us to wise living, to be people that have financial margin in our homes and in our life. It's not just an income problem. Because what happens if your income goes up, your lifestyle goes with it. Right? 
I mean, think about, think about your situation. Think about a couple years ago. You're probably making more money now. And you thought, man, if I could just make a few more dollars, then everything would be set. But guess what happens? You make a few more dollars, and then you decide to get cable. And then you make a few more dollars, and then you decide, oh, we need a second car payment. And then you make a few more dollars, oh, I need the new iPhone. I'm going to pay $33 a month on the new iPhone. Your income goes up, and so does your lifestyle. It's not an income problem. It's a lifestyle problem. And beyond that, it's not just a, a lifestyle problem. It's also a spiritual problem. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is speaking. Sermon on the Mount. We studied the Sermon on the Mount last year. Sermon on the Mount, G, Matthew 6. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Jesus says, hey, I know the world says you need to accumulate more stuff. You need more stuff and that'll make you happy. And Jesus says, don't do that. Don't do that. He says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys or where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I love that line. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Another way to say this is where your money goes, your heart will follow. Where your money goes, your heart will follow. So this is where I want to ask you to ask yourself one of these hard questions. Pull up your bank statement. I think a few of us may still get a paper statement. Most of us do it online. Pull up your bank statement. Where does your bank, where does your bank statement tell you your heart is? How you spend your money, what is that telling you about where your heart is? Statistically, Christians, statistically, we give 2% of our income to God. Across the board, not just our church, but just across the board. Uh, uh, nationally, Christians give 2% of their income to God. 98% of their income goes to the world. You know what that tells me? That of the average Christian, 98% of their heart goes to the world. Goes to stuff. Goes to things. Is there, any, is there any wonder why we want more of this world? And why we find God not to be satisfying to us? When 98% of our heart is geared towards the world. See, this is a spiritual problem. This is a spiritual problem where we think that things will satisfy our heart. That we turn to things and stuff and say, man, that'll make me happy. Instead of finding the sufficiency of Christ. So let's get really practical here. We've addressed this issue. Financial margin. We don't have it. It brings stress. It brings problems. So let's get really practical here. How do we create financial margin in our life? How do we address this, this lifestyle issue? And how do we create margin? I'm going to give you two really simple and obvious answers. Number one, earn more. Or number two, spend less. As practical as I can get. How do you create financial margin? You do one or two of those things. Simple enough. Wrong slide. There we go. Simple enough. You want to create financial margin as practical as I can be? Do one or, or, or both of those things. Now again, i just looking out at you. Just be honest, you guys are a really smart bunch, right? And you probably already know that. 
You probably already know that. And if it was really that simple, hey, all I have to do is earn more or spend less. If it's really that simple, then why would I guess that there are still many of us in here who struggle financially, who don't have financial margin? See, I think we have to dig deeper. I think we have to dig deeper to say, man, what is, what is the root here? What is, what, what, is, what is causing me to not live this practical stuff and to, to create this financial mess that I'm in and, and not have this financial margin? This is where we have to move just beyond a practical answer like this to a spiritual answer and deal with where we are spiritually. So let me just rephrase this. If you want to create financial margin in your life, you want to have the, the, everything that comes with a financial margin, the peace, the security, the trust, then here's what you have to do. You have to learn how to put God first in your finances. It's not just this practical solution on earn more and spend less. The spiritual, the root issue is we have to learn how to put God first in our finances. Because what we tend to do, we tend to think about me first. Myself first. My needs. My, my, my. And then, if we have anything left over, then, okay, God, I'll, I'll include you in this little bit of portion. And then what happens is when things get tough, when we start dealing with struggles financially, who do we start praying to? Oh, God. God, help me out of this financial mess I'm in. And God's looking and saying, well, who did you look for first? Matthew 6, verse 33. This is a verse I've mentioned throughout this entire series. Matthew 6, 33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added to you. He says, financially, give to God first. Go to God first. And not just financially, not just with your giving, but, but prayerfully and intimately through relationships. Say, God, God, how would you have me to, to, to use these resources that, God, you've given me? All this money we've, we deal with. Man, God's given it to you. Like asking God, God, how would you want me to manage these resources? Seeking God first in your free resources means that you give him the ability to, you give him space to, to talk to you and direct you and to teach you and to train you. Man, here's how you should handle your resources. Let me just throw this out there as well. I want to be clear. I'm not about to take a special offering for the church. We're not doing a building fund. I'm not trying to say, hey, we need your money to do something special for the church. I want to speak on this issue because there's so many of us that do not have any financial margin. There's so many of us, culturally, that are living paycheck to paycheck. Culturally, that fit into that CNN study where we spend more money than we earn. That we have more month at the end of our money. And I want to speak on this issue for you because I care for you. Because I love you. And listen, a big part of us dealing with our financial situation is for you and I to learn to put God first in our finances. To go to him first and not with the leftovers. To allow him to speak into how we deal with all of it. There's two things that happen if we do this. If we put God first in our finances, there's two things that we can receive as a benefit of that. First, is when we give to God first with our finances, 
It strengthens and builds our faith and our trust in God. Malachi chapter 3, the Old Testament. Malachi says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. He just said, hey, bring a full 10% of your income to God. Now, some of you are saying, that is crazy. What's he smoking? Like, really? I'm supposed to give 10% of my money to God? But look what he says next. He says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. God says, test me on this. I dare you. Test me on this. And see if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. God says, put me the test on this. You don't believe me? Put me to the test. And when we do this, when we give to God first, when we give to God what's best, this is really becomes a, a trust or a faith issue. Like we trust God to save us. We trust God to take us to heaven when we die. But do we trust God to deal with our finances and to provide for us? I mean, this is just real. This is us growing our faith and our trust in him. I know analytically, some of you, you have the analytical mindset and you're like, um, that doesn't make sense. Like I give God 10, I live on 90% and I'm supposed to do, that doesn't make sense. Listen, <laughs> when you give to God first, what happens, it's miraculous. He blesses the rest. It's what happens. That God can do more on your 90% than you could ever do with your full 100%. That is truth. And when we do this, when we begin to, to, to give to God first, when we, we, we prioritize uh, him first, it begins to break, break that power of materialism. That's what happens. Because if we're going to start giving to God first, and we're going to give to him first and foremost, what do we have to do? We have to figure out how to shift some funds around. So if I'm giving God 10% first, that means I'm taking some money out of somewhere else. And it begins to break the very thing that led to me having a marginless life. Where, you know what? If I'm going to give to God, maybe that means I have to cut the, I have to cut the, the cable. And guess what happens? When you don't have the cable, you realize, man, there is life after cable. And it begins to break the very things that led us to this marginalist life that we always struggle with. Hey, you need more. You need more. You need more. It begins to cut that to where you say, no, actually, we have enough. And when you begin to give, it builds your faith. It, it strengthens your ability to say, okay, God, not only do I have faith in you to save me, but I have faith in you to provide for me and to take care of me. And you begin to see God's hand at work. You begin to see God working through your provision. And for you analytical types, it's not going to make sense. But God will do more on, on your 90% than you will ever do on your 100%. Second thing happens when we uh, prioritize God first with our finances is we end up with more of what matters the most. When we prioritize God first in our finances, we end up with more of what matters most in life. And really, this is the crux of this whole conversation about financial margin. Is that you may not have what everybody wants physically, but you will have more of what matters most spiritually and emotionally. Proverbs chapter 8. The proverb says, Riches and honor are with me, 
enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. You know, I thought, we get to this end and I talk about, hey, when you give to God first, he gives you more of what matters most. I thought this would be a great time for me to tell you a story about how I started giving to God and it was a sacrifice. And then I went, uh, then I went to uh, the store and I found those pair of shoes that I couldn't really afford. And they were on clearance for like 10% of what they were worth. And I had these brand new shoes I could never afford. I thought it'd be a really good story to tell, but I can't tell that story because I don't have that story. But what I can tell you, 15 years ago, my wife and I made a commitment to build our trust and faith in God and to give to him first, to honor him financially. We started giving to the church. And I can tell you what we've experienced since then has been beautiful. It makes me emotional. But all five of our kids trust Jesus. Not because we had the fancy toys not because we had the boat and we went out on the, on, the, on, the, on the lake on the weekend and spent all that time on the boat. I believe it's because we've invested in the church. We've invested in a God. And God has given us what matters most to our kids. That's all of them knowing Jesus is your Savior. Man, I think about, I think about the friends that we've been able to, to love in the last number of years. Man, we've seen some friends transformed in beautiful ways. Some friends that are alcoholics that are free from that addiction. Some friends who, whose marriage was bound for divorce. Listen, having more stuff doesn't solve your marriage woes. Having a bigger house isn't going to make your marriage any better. But what happens is when you invest in the church, when you invest into God, God begins to work. And we have seen God change lives. We have seen God change hearts. We've seen God change families. We've seen God change futures for entire families. They were once headed in this direction, and by the grace of God, now they're headed this way. It's beautiful. Man, I, I grew up, we didn't have much money growing up, and we were often on the receiving end uh, of people's generosity. And, and now that we're a little bit older, now that in a little bit different situation, man, do you know what kind of joy it is for us to be able to give to other people and bless them? Like, that's probably the greatest high that you could ever get, is be able to have something and just be able to bless somebody and say, hey, you know what? I want to do this for you because I love you. There's nothing greater than being able to bless people and just give them something. Think about the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son takes his dad's inheritance and goes off to a faraway land. And while he has all the money, all the inheritance, he's got all the friends, Right? Because he's got something to offer them. Hey, you've got money. And what happens when he runs out of the money? All the friends are gone. The prodigal son is left alone in the slop. I think about the friends that Samantha and I have developed over the last 15 years. Man, these are people that aren't loving us because we have money. These people aren't hanging out with us because of what we offer them. People that I can say, they love us for us. They have stuck with us through everything. They love me for me. Isn't that a song? I don't know. I will say, we've experienced more of what matters most because we have given to God first and of our finances. We've prioritized him. We've allowed him to speak into it. These are the nicest things 
And this is where I begin to ache for so many of us in here. Because we have made a very bad trade. We've traded the blessings that come with financial margin for things of this world that won't last. Naked we came into the world and naked we'll go out. And all those things that we're trading margin and peace and relational harmony for, they don't last. They're gone in a flash. This is, my, this is what I long for you. I long for you to put God first and to experience his blessings, to experience more of what matters most. Because it is beautiful and it is totally worth it. Listen, margin, financial margin, peace and freedom, it's not an income issue. It's a lifestyle issue. It's a spiritual issue. And this is where I'm going to leave you with a choice. You have a choice to make. Who are you going to put first in your finances? Are you going to put yourself first? Or are you going to put God first? Come back to that verse, Proverbs 15. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and all the trouble that comes with it. You have a choice to make today. Are you going to put you first or God first? The better choice is to put God first. The better choice is God first. Let's pray.